Klaivu sponsors the Replatform podcast. Check out Klaivu Smart Search in Action on replatform.fm to help you find the podcast you're looking for. In other news, we've written a guide with input from James and Paul, replatforming tips for in-house e-commerce teams. Download free at klaivu.com slash replatform. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Replatform podcast. Today, it's just me, Paul, and I'm joined by one of my favorite clients, Diego Freer, who is currently working as the e-commerce director for fashion brand Totem. Diego is joining me in London today. He's usually based in Stockholm, and we're going to discuss a number of key topics around luxury e-commerce. So, Diego, thanks for joining me, and can you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and also Totem? Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, as I said, Diego Fria from Totem, Ecom Director, originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina, <laughs> so coming from far away. And I have lived in a few countries, including the US, the UK, and now Sweden, potentially the UK very soon again. <laughs> um, but yeah, nice to nice being here with you. Brilliant. Um, and I guess your background, you can talk a bit more about this in a second, but your background has been entirely at luxury and premium brands. So we first spoke when you were working for Stutterheim, I think, probably about six years ago. Mm. What kind of restrictions have you faced when it comes to the front end kind of UX and that kind of theming of an e-com site? Like, have you struggled to balance best practices around kind of UX and usability? And how have you learned to manage different stakeholders? Yeah, good one. I think throughout the years, I really learned to appreciate the input from the brand teams and marketing teams. Um, basically, you have two forces, right? You have the the sort of um, the traditional approach to doing things uh, when it comes to UX, but also you have the vision, the vision, right, of the of the of the owners of the brand or the creative directors. And marrying both can be very tricky and very difficult. So my job many times is to try to sort of be the referee of both yeah. approaches or to find ways to balance things a little bit, sometimes compromise or negotiate. But overall, I think if you have a very strong brand team, like we do at Totem yeah. today, um, I really, really trust them and and really, really believe in our collaboration. So yeah, we collaborate very closely, but we have been very contrarian at Totem uh, with our approach to UX, which is very daring, maybe a little bit crazy, but uh, I really enjoy that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I think um, I've adapted over the last few years because I started out maybe working more with like multi-brand um, retailers or kind of lower end retailers. Um, and then now most of my clients are premium or luxury brands. And I think I'm actually, I've almost been persuaded that sometimes, you know, brand is actually more important than kind of UX and usability, particularly when it's a brand and that, you know, there's demand around your product yeah. and it's not like that demand is going to disappear if, you know, uh, some of the kind of front-end experiences compromised. Yeah, and also the, the, the balance between best practice and, and uh, a unique experience. Yeah, if exactly. Yeah. Saying, then you sort of lose that. So trying to create a unique experience 
something that people will remember and identify. And I think that should be the goal for brands like ours. Yeah, I completely agree. So we obviously worked together on your relatively recent Shopify Plus migration or the Totem Shopify Plus migration, um, which I would say is a good balance of kind of brand experience and, and then user experience and usability. Um, how did you justify some of the changes that we made that were a little bit more focused on that kind of UX and usability side? Um, and how did you get some of the more kind of creative and brand-led stakeholders bought into this? I have to say that overall, I'm really impressed with the work that we've done in terms of the front end and the UX. Yeah. We were able to deliver a lot of the requirements uh, of, of the brand team. I think some of this, uh, we haven't really made any sacrifices per se. And I believe that our front end within Shopify Plus and not non-headless um, is a very, very customized template and very, very totem. Yeah. Um, if we, do you have any specific examples? So I guess that like, I know you ran um, a bit of a kind of UX audit pre um, the replatforming and things like the way the filtering worked, kind of this search was a bit, that was a bit of an overhaul, I guess. Uh, maybe some of the kind of usability changes in mobile just to make sure that it was kind of very easy to go through that checkout process. Yeah, I think any of those changes that we made were very minor. Yeah, If true, you think yeah. that if you're like a, a imagine our brand team, they're very sort of high level. They just look at the whole picture. Yeah. So we were able to apply sort of many of the smaller changes and then just uh, have them, you know, sort of, we just pass them on. Yeah. Um, some other changes we showed them, we did it when we did a test when we were doing internal testing, uh, which is showed it to the, the brand team with this really, really liked it. A lot of the focus though, when we were doing testing uh, around UX and UI was on sort of the pixel perfection of all the elements. Yeah. So, so it was more of sort of two-dimensional rather than usability-wise. Yeah. So that allowed us to sort of implement some changes. But really, there hasn't been any major change that we've done versus what we had on Figma, which is a triumph, really. Yeah. No, no, I think that makes sense. I think some of the improvements on your old site from memory, the search piece, the push cart, um, yeah, and I think some of the mobile pieces that probably went to And also, um, many of those things we fixed post-launch. Yeah. So yeah. part of the negotiation is, hey, we need to launch, but we can fix it afterwards. Yeah. So, um, but overall, I would say that um, it's been, we were able to deliver what we did. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then I guess uh, pre-selecting Shopify Plus, so we went through a process of kind of you know gathering requirements, reviewing a number of different platforms, um, some of which were quite different to Shopify. So we reviewed uh, Centra, we, we reviewed Magento, we loosely removed uh, reviewed Salesforce as well in particular. Um, and I guess when we went down the Shopify route, there were compromises. Um, so from the start, you know, we knew what they were, um, particularly around the international side. Um, how do you feel about that decision now? Like, are you glad you went down that route? Would you make the same decision again? Yeah, that was probably my favorite part of the project. Yeah. Sort of pre-choosing because <laughs> you have all the, all the uh, choices in front of you and all these different uh, options, amazing options. Um, yeah, I would say that I am happy with the choice. It hasn't been easy. Yeah. It can be some compromises. Uh, many of these compromises are being improved down the line since Shopify had, of course, changes and adapts all the time. Um, but definitely, I think I'm glad that we didn't go for Magento, for example, yeah. which I used to work with before. 
And uh, same with bigger platforms like Salesforce, etc., that I believe um, would have had a bigger impact. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, if you if you check our site, it's just super smooth. Yeah. It doesn't crash. Uh, it's robust, scalable, and we are developing. Uh, we're literally developing it every week. Yeah. Using yeah, tickets, yeah. and it's at a really good pace. So I would say, all in all, it has been a really good call. I think that's still the advantage that Shopify has in places is yeah. that kind of like agility and that ability to push new features out. Correct. But I remember when we were choosing a platform, uh, you mentioned this and a few others mentioned this, that no platform is perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that uh, has to be said yeah. many times. Uh, absolutely. Sure yeah. Talk to anyone yeah. uh, working with any platform. Yeah. It will be some that, but it's also good at, uh, so understanding the, the compromise is really important. Yeah. And I think we, we did, uh, we really literally listed those compromises, but also understanding the pluses, right? Super important. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I kind of stole that mantra from James, but um, I think it's an important um, one to mention. I think the other one that was obviously quite close with Shopify was Centra, which uh, they've been on our podcast before. And I do think that's a really interesting platform. I think Centra, uh, right, and you know, for headless, for headless yeah. approach, uh, would have been interesting for us and they work with a lot of our friends. Yeah. Um, and then I guess that's the kind of the last Shopify question. And um, I'll mention that we make websites and t- um, Johan also did a brilliant job on that project as well um so next question moving on a little bit so totem has a big um very fast growing presence in asia um so what are the current uh kind of key markets for you and where is that demand coming from yes um it's only for us working sort of in the west you have to throw everything you know away and start from zero. Yeah. So it has been such a humbling experience for us. We are really big in China and also big in Korea, South Korea, of course. And so regarding China specifically, um, you know, we had to learn a whole new sort of tech landscape, including econ platforms sort of customer behavior, social media, because everything we know that you know doesn't exist there. Yeah. So China has been, I believe, a great example of of launching in Asia. Um, we got great partners. So we launched a store in Tmall on Tmall last year, last September, a year ago. Um, I also got a Tmall e-commerce manager working with me. <laughs> and that helps a lot. It's really important to have colleagues that understand the culture. Yeah. Um, you really you literally have to speak the language and metaphorically as well. <laughs> we also um, hire another colleague that helps us run the uh, social media channels. Yeah. Again, same philosophy, right? You 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 have to be local even if you are in our case in Stockholm. Yeah. Very, very important. So we opened up all of these different accounts, all these different social media accounts, understanding the purpose of each, setting the strategy for it, supporting the team of channel, and uh, eventually we got um, an agency helping us as well. So yeah, we really developed, I believe, a really good setup. And I guess um, 
so you've made a couple of good points out which I always hear from clients around kind of you know hiring um and I guess the other big question is like where do you start so where did you start did you you know did you initially have like advisors or an agency or like some level of consultancy or did you just hire internally and then start to build it out from that yeah, so we realized that China could be interesting for us when we saw big transactions coming to our global site from China and they, uh, they were resellers of diagrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then we realized that there was demand for Totem, 100% organic demand. So we started, we, part, we, we talked to, we reached out to our network and we partnered up with um, someone that helped us connect with a team of partner in China. So that was the first move. Then we created the plan for the launch. We managed the launch internally. And then before we launched, uh, we got a, my colleague um, who runs the channel. And at the same time, we got a social media manager to help us, right? So we have two colleagues that yeah. understand the language and they, they sort of bridge the cultures, I guess. Yeah. And that has been super useful. And, you know, if you love e-com, it's just fantastic. I think China's years, years ahead of us. Yeah. And it's, it's just been great to see the, uh, the whole landscape yeah i think it's um i think it, we again like a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago we did an episode with someone from highlink and that was really interesting they spoke specifically about some of the nuances of the chinese market um but i've been working with a client that's where we're kind of like loosely involved in their um, wechat mini program and um chinese local site and it's been really interesting i personally find it really interesting super interesting and also how Everything's mobile centric. Yeah. Sometimes you know you show them something desktop and they just like almost laugh at yeah. you. And I kind of like that there are years ahead. Um, things are much more centralized than in the West. Yeah. So you have, to say, WeChat, you have Tmall. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Maybe they have a few other channels here and there, but which in some ways may, you know, make, they make life much easier if you're working with this. Uh, on the other hand, it's very competitive, right? And the practicalities of trading in China uh, are very particular from importing yeah. to or exporting depending on which side you are to banking so, so it's it's a it's a move that needs to be taken very carefully yeah. and you want to be surrounded by great people absolutely yeah. to enjoy the process I've known um, I've known quite a few brands to try and do it, but I think it's interesting what you just said because someone else once told me before, um, you know, there's demand for you in China when you start getting bulk orders from China at full price, and then that's when they're starting to sell your product on Tmall. Um, or via other channels, um, but yeah, I think having that demand already is is that's crucial. Yeah, to build the market is very very yeah. I don't think that is very interesting, which. I believe is one of the biggest challenges for brands um, trading in China is using a Western filter, filter, but for um, uh, for Chinese customers. Meaning that the way we create content, the way we display content, the way we we feel about content, it's really hard to judge that uh, when you are a Western person versus uh, yeah. when you're trying to talk to a Chinese consumer. Sometimes, um, or many, many times, the, the, the approach in China to content creation, sharing, live streaming is so different. I yeah. think some brands are doing this really well. Yeah. Especially the, 
the bigger luxury houses yeah, the are the doing it well. Correct. And yeah. if you look at their team, it's just sometimes it's hard to look at yeah. because there's just so many things going on. But I really love it's just so alive and everything's live and there's people talking. There's like things happening, animations, and it's just the way that they do things. Yeah, and I kind of enjoy it. Yeah, but whereas for us in the West, especially for luxury brands, things tend to be calmer, quieter, yeah. more minimal, sort of more distant. And I think bridging that is very difficult. So for us, it is still a learning process. And uh, the idea of like sort of Chinifying the content is is very interesting one, and I'm really keen on on sort of venturing more and, and doing more fun things that are sort of that we would do if we were based there. Yeah, no, I, f- I think that's um, a really interesting point. And I guess it loosely takes me on to my next question. So I was talking to someone this morning about, you know, some of the things that are happening in China around like blockchain and games and all these other things. And I guess um, you said earlier or pre this podcast, you mentioned that you're looking at now doing a WeChat mini program. How big a part of that is your strategy, knowing that Tmall is currently quite big for you? And what are your plans with that mini program? <laughs> I can't say much because yeah. we're still working <laughs> on this, but what I can say is that I see WeChat, uh, the, the WeChat mini program, as a complement to Tmall. Yeah. Tmall is huge, and we really managed to build a really good base. We have a loyalty program that we just launched, and it's really right, it's growing, growing, and growing. But we are still debating and thinking about sort of what function will serve sort of as a complement to Tmall. Maybe it could be used as a as a place to drop exclusive, yeah. or maybe it could be used as a place to show all pieces. And and we're really open minded to the approach, but we it cannot be the same as Timor, yeah, right? Though they will be sharing the same backend, yeah. But um, and it's also a bit of a learning process. So for us, we're going to start very low key, and we're going to sort of play and test a few different approaches. But it will not be the same as Timor. It will be a complement now. From what angle, we don't know. Yeah, so more of like an engagement channel, I guess, or at least in part an engagement channel. Um, And you, as you said, already have, you know, as a a pretty big, fast-growing European brand, um, there's already demand out there for you. Um, What what are you doing to kind of grow that demand now? Like, are you currently doing paid advertising in Asia, for example, in South Korea and China? Yeah, so we see Asia and the US as sort of key markets for us for growth. Yeah. Asia-wise, I was talking about China. Yes, we're doing paid and we're doing sort of, uh, tons of things on working with ambassadors and, and yeah. just really uh, rolling out a few fun things. Um, potentially open store very soon in China. Ah, yes, wow, that's much, but, uh, uh, quite likely. Yeah. And that's very, very soon. Um, maybe by the time the podcast comes, we oh, interesting. Two weeks, I think it's been published. <laughs> okay, good, good. So, roughly, yeah. so that's amazing, and that's uh, that really shows our commitment to a market like China, yeah. And uh, then, of course, Korea, right? Really huge for us. We are working on, yeah, we're a neighbor, yeah. right? We're looking into Kakao Talk as well, another learning, learning process there as well, learning curve. We're also launching our own platform in Korea um, that will be outside of Shopify. So yeah. It will be its own standing platform, which is also really, really fun. So that's as far as Asia goes. And we're still looking into, so we have a focus in China and Korea. We're looking into Japan, but nothing yet. And then, of course, the US is another monster. Um, fantastic opportunity for us. 
again, potentially a story in the US as well, um, and uh, really looking to ramp up our uh, paid advertisements. Yeah, just it's just having fun, really, right? I mean, we, yeah. we, we just want to have fun. We want to be where our customers are. We want to grow our customer base and just be local, uh, either in person or uh, digitally. Still, we want to be close to our customers. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a great time for Totem based on everything that I found when working for you. And there's just so much demand like globally and the brand's grown so quickly. So for a brand like Totem, so a luxury brand, you know, looking to grow direct consumer, you've obviously got a wholesale side of the business, as most of these kind of brands do. Um, and the, particularly in kind of your non-local markets, there's a lot of competition um, from Netted Porter, you know, My Teresa, Matches, whoever else, um, all these different sites. Um, how does a brand, how does a luxury brand create that kind of uh, really unique direct experience that results in a customer buying direct like what are some of the things that you think brands should be looking at to create that kind of more memorable stronger more convenient um buying experience some days i think of metaphorical brands uh essence these guys as a competition some days yeah i see them as inspiration and some of the days i see them as a compliment to 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 the brand yeah vice versa um so depending on on the, on the day and the mood but so from a competition perspective, uh, as you say, the service level is top notch. I really, I yeah. mean, I really look up to them, right? From some, some of them even have like twenty-four hour customer service, yeah. say delivery. That's that has to be the standard, the level for all brands. Yeah. Really, I think if you're in, in, in econ, that has to be your your aspirational standard, right? We're not there yet, but we really aspire to deliver killer service, personal service. Um, fast shipping, being local, all the things that I believe they do really well and they have a huge advantage over many, many brands just based on the network effect and the amount of money that they spend on this. Still very inspirational and aspirational. So for us, it is something that, that we look up to. What I believe Totem offers though is we, you, you know, customers have, they would have that direct relationship with us they can call us, they can talk to us, they can reach out to us, and many, many, many do. Um, and I think having a direct relationship with your favorite brand yeah. is very unique. And that's very special versus calling someone to a company that's huge and has like, tons of customer service and colleagues, etc. years. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is we are constantly looking for ways to improve from you know, uh, changing warehouses to opening a local platform to hiring another uh, CX colleague in the US. And yeah. it, it's, it's baby steps in many ways, but we know the standard that we need to reach. Yeah. And that is just the best. So that's just where you, where you want to be at zero. We're not there yet, but very, uh, very important for us and us to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's a lot of... Um really cool features in your roadmap as well to support that kind of um, effort to improve direct consumer. Um, so on top of the kind of, um, I guess, wholesale piece, uh, so Totem is also a multi-channel brand and I've been to your flagship in Sweden. It's a ridiculous experience, like really, really cool stuff. Um, how do you think luxury brands do multi-channel well? What are some of the things that you think, and particularly now where, you know, there's a lot of... Um, threat to the high street a lot of people are closing stores like how do you think 
luxury brands do multi-channel well, essentially. Yeah. I think every brand needs to find or define what a store means, right? And that is very, very specific to each brand. Four to 10, we see our stores as um, sort of embassies or places where the brand exists, where you can come, you can hang out, have a coffee, talk to us, try things on. Maybe you buy it there, maybe you uh, buy it at home, maybe you get it delivered to the store, but we see the store as a place where the brand lives and you can go and experience it firsthand, which is why we're keen on expanding to other key markets and key countries. We really want to offer a fantastic experience and we just want to meet our customers, right? If you go to, you've been to our store, just, just, I go there sometimes just to see the customers and to see people interact with our, with our, with our clothes, especially when you work in e-com. You yeah. Just, you never really get to touch the, the clothes. It is fantastic. And we, yeah, sure, there's trading and there's tech behind it, right? You want to make sure that you facilitate, uh, of course, uh, commerce and all of these things. But overall, it's just really understanding the reason for the store to exist. And yeah. I think that's very, that depends on each one. Yeah. But for us, it's just a place where Totem exists and you can just go and touch it and feel it and talk to us, and which is uh, very different from interacting on a viable phone or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think so another one of our clients who's a luxury brand, they got six stores in London, mm. described their stores like they used to, you know, be an avenue for new customers or in good locations, whereas now they just see it as a touch point. And, you know, I think they're less focused on, like, you know, net new revenue coming out of those stores and it's more just kind of brand experience and they're trying to use them a little bit more, in a bit more of a unique way, I guess. Um and you mentioned that you're potentially opening a couple more stores. Like, is that, do you think that will continue to be a part of Totem's strategy? For sure. We do it very carefully. Yeah. And we, we think about it a lot, but definitely we are looking to be local in more countries, for sure. That makes sense. Um, and then I guess moving on again, so kind of, I guess, half back to front end, which I said I've moved on from before. Um, in terms of kind of e-commerce customer experience, who are some of the, so initially from a kind of front end website perspective, who are some of the brands that you look up to personally? I'm going to go for a really big one. Yeah. Uh, Nike. Yeah. I think Nike is a fantastic brand with a fantastic tech setup and it's just so understated. Yeah. They don't throw the tech at your face, right? They just and I understand that I understand what they do is very complex, but they do it in such a seamless way from yeah. you know having you know you move from country to country. I, I have my account and wherever I log in, I, I'm local, they deliver super fast, they ship super fast. You can call them, they they reply to you, there's actually humans. Yeah. Um, I just think they're, they're sort of the service level, the tech, the global approach. It's just super seamless. It's fantastic. Yeah, I completely um, I really, agree. really enjoy it. Um, so both from a UI perspective, UX, and also service level and tech. Yeah, I think the um, I always use it as a good example of mobile experience. Like the theme is super simple, um, but like you say, it's just seamless. And you know, like everything's super accessible, super considered. Um, yeah, all the content's fantastic. Like scales really well. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that one. And then in terms of customer experience, like do you have anyone you really look up to, kind of beyond the order, that do a really good job of that kind of post-purchase experience? 
he mentioned a few of our uh, partners slash competitors. I think they do a really good job, though they are, you know, they're resellers. Yeah. Um, from a brand perspective, I said I like I like Nike. I'm usually very low maintenance, so I'm not the kind of customer. I'm I'm the ideal customer. I yeah. know what I want. I never call customer service. Uh, I'm very sort of self-reliant. So I haven't really tested that many, but um, they said Nike is the one that I really tested and they were yeah. really delivered. Um, one I, I, I don't enjoy, yeah. if I might say so, is IKEA. IKEA, first of all, they have no phone you, you number. You live in Sweden, how can you say right? that? Exactly, no phone number, no email address. <laughs> like, and then I have to go to the store to return something. I'm like, oh. So yeah, I'm, I'm dying, but um, that's it's good to also have um, you know, this uh, sort of blacklist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another good view. Yeah. Um, and then you've talked about your team from a kind of, you know, new markets perspective, particularly China. Um, what does your e-com team look like? So James and I did an episode on this recently, and I think this is something that is actually quite subjective in terms of like what a good e-com team looks like and, you know, what kind of roles you have within a team. Um, what does Totem's e-commerce team look like right now and how do you think that will change over the next one to two years? Yeah, so for us, operations is really important. It's the engine, of, right, of the team. Um, so day-to-day engine. Yeah. Very important. Then, of course, uh, the buying, super important, merchandising as well acquisitions, super important. We do work with an agency, but we, we have someone that handles uh, one of the channels plus the agency. We used to have CX in the team. Now we, we sort of, it, has, it became like a standalone team. That's okay, cool. yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And then for us, for the future, definitely um, thinking about the different regions or different markets, super important. Can they grow into their own clusters? Yeah. Can they grow their own legs? Super important. And just kind of let them do their thing. And then, of course, tech. We haven't had a tech team at all at Totem, which is pretty amazing, where we are today. But I think that that will definitely be an area uh, so within the team that will grow a lot yeah. to be even developers down the line, et cetera, as we continue investing in our platform. And then, yeah, and then of course, just working on the culture, right? It's super important to, to keep all these different um, type of skills aligned. Yeah, huge challenge. I guess that's part of your world, isn't it? Making yeah. sure that everyone's kind of working Fine. together. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that makes sense. And kind of final question from me then. So, like, what's next for Totem, the direct consumer channel? Like, what else do you have in your roadmap over the next twelve months? Definitely marrying these physical places with the digital experience, super important. It sounds really simple when you read about it, but it can be very tricky. A lot more to that, yeah. yeah. Um, continue growing in China. That means, um, you know, it's a WeChat mini program. That means more localized content. Then for Korea, local platform just really, really being uh, establishing the brand in the country, super important. Then overall, it's just we're continuing, you know, we continue developing the Shopify platform. We work on it week on week. And just, we're really keen on moving on from sort of the launch phase, which we had a few months ago. Yeah. Now we're just uh, working on some sort of more basic tickets, but we're really keen on embracing new approaches and new innovations like uh, some of the 
you know, if we want to play with virtual reality, maybe yeah. uh, create exclusive content for some segments. Yeah. So we really we are really keen on on finding ways to reward in a totem way our our VIPs or our key our key customers <clears throat> personalized service. So we're really keen on just just understanding our our customer base and really, really just rewarding loyalty and, and love for the brand. Yeah. People that know the brand, they love it. And we just want to create a um, yeah, sort of program where we're able to recognize these customers and just get close to them, really. Yeah, um, and that actually, I do have one last question uh, as a bit of a reaction to what you just said and uh, touching on the team point. Um, so I know you use a metria, you know, CRM um, is a big thing for you internally. Do you have a CRM manager? Is that on your roadmap? We do, yeah. So we have a CRM manager and he helps us run this next team, Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. He works really close with us. And uh, he's also helping us trying to define what I just said regarding identifying the customers, rewarding them, and giving shape to that project, which I believe will be very, very next level. I cannot say much. Stay yeah. tuned. Um, checking in February 2022, <laughs> but we, we are really working on, on a very ambitious project regarding loyalty, which I believe will be... Very, very next level. Fantastic. Great. Um, yeah, I do find that quite an interesting one. It feels like all of our clients are like newly hiring CRM managers or head of CRMs and um, with everything that's going on around maybe the paid space as well, like everyone seems to be taking CRM a little bit more seriously. Yeah, I think it's a very overlooked area. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, great. So thanks very much for coming on, Diego. Really enjoyed this episode. Um, and thanks everyone for listening. It's been a really good, interesting conversation. Um, and then please follow us on all of the major channels to get updates on new episodes. And as always, if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to myself or you can reach out to Diego directly on LinkedIn or Twitter. I think you have Twitter. Diego Veggie, yeah. Um, great. And then, yeah, like I said, if you have any other questions or anything, feel free to reach out to me or James. Thanks, everyone. Bye.